Web3 with me is a discussion style podcast about the ins and outs of Web 3.0, hosted by Zach French, known as Off Edge in the verse. From crypto to NFTs, DAOs to DeFi, we cover the abstract philosophical promises and the new business models enabled in this new decentralized world. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or watch the show on YouTube. Thanks and enjoy. Zach French is a bar certified attorney and nothing expressed by Zach during Web3 with me shall be considered legal advice. All the opinions expressed by Zach and his guests are solely their own opinions. All content in Web3 with me is for informational purposes only. Zach and his podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed during Web3 with me. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for being listeners of Web3 with me. I want to take a few seconds to tell you about my exciting new B2B offering. It is the mission here to educate. I sincerely believe Web3 can make the world better for more people. Businesses shouldn't be left out, though, so I've launched The Web3 Coach. It's a bespoke education experience designed to help your team understand how Web3 affects your particular industry or company and identify opportunities unique to Web3. Whether you have a law or accounting firm with a growing number of clients participating in Web3 through crypto and NFTs, or you're a real estate syndicate looking for different ways to raise money, or teams just of fast-growing Web3 companies who want to understand your customers and your new teammates, I make sure you can talk the talk and leave feeling more confident about this crazy new world. Please take a minute to check out my website at theweb3coach.xyz. Thanks so much and enjoy the show. My guest today is Ryland Aldrich, known as IamRyland.eth in the verse. Ryland is a dear friend who recently joined the Beans Project via my friend and mentor, Josh Sobel, or Aw Heck. He's a filmmaker with over a decade of experience as a producer of feature films, series, and podcast projects. He's an avid collector of digital art and Web3 evangelist. Originally from the Pacific Northwest, Ryan currently lives in Los Angeles with his wife and son. You'll see in the episode how he really uses his analytical ability to break through what are the bigger truths of Web3. I hope you enjoy LFG, baby. Let's start vibing. Live from New York. It's Web3 with me. I had to do that. Rylan, thank you so much for joining me on the show here. Uh, and you know, I'm glad you're here. Uh, and I'm so excited to be talking with you here. This has been such a cool experience for us, hasn't it? Awesome. It's been so great. And if we were doing this traditionally, I was as soon as I came on video, I was going to say, Off Edge! <laughs> you can still say it. Okay. It's cool. Off Edge! <laughs> uh, no, I, might, no, uh, I might need to change my intro uh, to say... Zach French, known as Off Edge in the Metaverse. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, on a lighter note, um, you know, uh, you listen to the podcast, you understand where I want to go with this. We're trying to educate, but in order to educate, people got to get to know you. So I always want to start with your founding story. What, Who makes Rylan Rylan? Tell us a little bit about that. Cool. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give you the, the brief version, not the uh, full two lunches we spent doing this uh early this week. Full version. <laughs> <laughs> um no this is this has been this awesome zach and, and great work on the podcast so far so i'm i'm excited to be on um 
My story, I started, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest um, in uh, the late 90s uh, in high school. It was kind of like if you could hold a screwdriver, you could get a job in the computer industry. So when I was in high school, I uh, went to work at a PC manufacturer and started building computers. Learned a lot about the PC world and the tech world and um, enjoyed doing it a lot. Uh, that led to me going off to college and deciding I wanted to do uh, computer science. However, I really had zero knowledge about what that meant about about computer programming and kind of quickly realized that wasn't what I wanted to spend my time doing and left school for a while, um, decided that I would focus on becoming a professional snowboarder. <laughs> <laughs> that, that Sean was, White, everybody. Sean White. That was a very fun um, thing to pursue, but uh, ultimately uh, didn't quite have uh, what it took to to make it as a professional. But really enjoyed um, just being a snowboarder bum for for a number of years. Um, got to uh, you know just basically travel around, go snowboarding. It was great. <laughs> um, that led to me to eventually move to Japan for a little while, um, snowboarded in Japan for a while. And uh, I guess something I have in common with a few of your guests so far, I wonder if there's like a Web3 thing about people going to Japan. I don't know. I mean, there there is honestly, like not to have too quick of an aside here, like I've seen plenty of theories postulated by like very famous thinkers and investors that say that in terms of digital uh, engagement, we lag Japan, hmm. we lag Asia a few years. So if you want to see the future for where we are in the US, you might go to places like that to see where things might go. So it definitely felt like that when I was there in, in you know, 2002, 2003. Um, everyone was text messaging there, but no one was text messaging here yet. <laughs> so <laughs> like text messaging, <laughs> <or> just email. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I, uh, after a couple of years in Japan, I realized I um, should probably go back to college, get my degree, you know, get on with my adult life. I think at that point it was very clear I was not going to be a professional snowboarder. Um, so I decided to study film and I went back to college at the University of California, Santa Barbara which was a lot of fun, great place to go to school, great school, great town. Um, that uh, studying film there led me to an internship in Hollywood, uh, worked in Hollywood um, at a production company, kind of the grads, like the, the on the job grad school kind of thing. Uh, learned a lot about the film industry, left to uh, left the job to pursue screenwriting, had, a, you know, a little bit of a mixed success there, but decided that really the the thing that, that I was good at in the film industry was producing um, and uh, transitioned into being a film producer. So I've been an indie film producer for about 10 years. Um, and Which is also something you have in common with yes, some of my previous exactly. guests. Exactly. And that's, yeah. and that's how I know Josh and, and you know, traveling around to film festivals, uh, making movies, um, done, you know, uh, half dozen or so feature films or played all the major film festivals and um, has been uh, interesting. Um, <laughs> film festivals and indie film is a really fun uh, thing to do. It's not particularly lucrative, um, <laughs> but uh, seems like something I've chosen a lot in life is to, to do the fun things, <laughs> maybe not the most lucrative things. Um, but these, these days, actually, I've, I, I'm still producing movies, but I also... Um, 
launched uh, a, a, an app for the film industry last year. It's something we actually haven't talked about at all. Um, this is like an award-centered app for... We didn't get to this. We didn't get to this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the app's called FYC It. It's uh, aimed at the uh, film industry uh, insiders in particular who vote for awards and things like that. And this helps them find the different awards movies and the... Um, the screenings that the studios put out. That's cool. So that's kind of what I've been a lot focused on. And then that brings us to Web3, uh, our mutual pal, Josh, who is the genesis of so many. Ah, uh, heck. Yeah, so many nurse. people uh, in this space. He uh, he and I got together last summer, so summer of, of uh, 21, and he was telling me about his board apes and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, man, that's, that's cool. I get it. I just... I just it's too much for me to think about. And so I kind of just didn't do anything. But that's like one of the things, <laughs> one of the things that connected us early was that wasn't you being lazy at yeah, all. Yeah. That was you knowing that I'm Ryland and I will go as deep as possible on this thing uh-huh. an extremely <laughs> analytical mind. And you're like, when I have the time to do that, I will do it. Yeah. But like, I'm not just brushing this off because I don't feel like doing it. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that brought, and that all happened in in late February, early March of this year. So so relatively recently, you know, I guess it's a long time in the Web three space, but in real world time, it's relatively recent. And that's exactly what happened. I went really deep, got really excited about it, and had like you know like an endorphin high for like two or three weeks, where I was just like you know reading six five two nine all of his threads and reading all of about nouns and reading all about all of these different aspects of what web three is and what nfts are and um and you know it was just all in it was just a very exciting time and i think what happened was the endorphins kind of wore off but then i was just okay now it's this is just life and we're just doing this and it was an interesting time we'll get into this a little bit more but you know that was kind of the height of the prices and all of that um so maybe not the very best time to buy in, but a great time to to learn and and uh, and to go go deep on it. That's yeah, that's interesting. One thing I wanted to double click on because I found this so fascinating in the longer version of this founding story we've had over the past few days is like you 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 characterize it I think kind of nonchalantly as like fun over money, but like really like you've had a mindset in life that has. You aren't, you aren't living that way and wishing you were doing something else. You're doing exactly what you want to do when you do that. And I don't think that that authentic feeling of being comfortable where you are at that moment is very common, right? Like, where did that come from? Do you have any idea? Or is that just kind of a natural way you've always been doing that? <laughs> I, I do like that, that you kind of um, postulate it as like a positive personality trait. I've, I've often wondered if it's a detriment. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> I put it a, a positive personality traits to others. But when I think about it, I'm like, well, actually, that's a double, double-sided sword, double-edged yeah, sword or something. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I, I guess I've always, um, I've always put a ton of of just, you know, effort into the now and, and trying to, to think about, you know, what is happening right now. And, um, I've never been particularly future focused. Um, and I, you know, again, I think it's probably, <laughs> it's hard to say it's like definitely a positive thing, but it has led to, um, a lot of fun times and, you know, a lot of positive experiences. And I, I don't know where it comes from. I, I guess the, um, 
the the flip side of it, which I've you know heard some of your guests talk about, is that that immigrant mindset of of you know you got to succeed, you got to succeed. This is the opportunity, and this is the opposite of that. It's like the place of. Uh, it's not like I grew up with like you know wealth or anything like that at all. And, and in fact, I maybe that's part of why I never. We've always you know had enough to get by and plenty. Of, um, so I never wanted for anything in particular, but I also. Um, never felt like, you know, sacrificing the things I wanted to do for things that could potentially happen later, I guess. That's interesting. Cause like I, the first thing I think of, and the reason I think I view it as a positive trait is because I look at the middle-class of America. Right. And I think like the reason that and this is not just my thoughts, I've gotten this from reading and stuff like that, but like is the reason that they're perpetually middle-class is because they're always trying to keep up with the Joneses hmm. essentially. Right. Hmm. And you don't have that mindset, right? Like <laughs> you're not like, Ooh, how can I like do that? Like you're like, how can I do right by Ryland today? Well, Which is like, it's, it's, it's a, it's like being selfish in a positive way. Yeah. Right? I don't think it's quite as simple as just how do I do right I, by myself. I think that there is, um, there's a mentality of like, you know, you, you still feel the societal pressures of having a career and still feeling the societal pressures of providing and all of those sort of things. Um, and so when, you know, the rubber meets the road, you still have to pay the bills and you still have to do those sort of things that necessary. Um, but, but I've always, I guess I've always tried to have it both ways. I've always said like, you know, what, you know, what is the best way that I can achieve both of those things? And, and, uh, and still, um, without, you know, sacrificing too much of, of the now to do it. So it feels like you're finding balance. I think so. I hope so. (laughs) Very cool. Well, cool. With that, I kind of want to transition a little bit. Um, I know that you touched on how you joined the space at a unique time. Um, it's interesting because while it is exponentially larger in terms of market caps and, you know, assets under management for the space, if you will, um, I joined at a similar time last year, right? Uh, well, I joined through an NFT craze. I spent a bunch of money on NFTs. I watched my portfolio go down by 80% in two months. Um, and it's it's tough to see that, but it also gives you the experience that you need to maybe not so, be so hard on yourself um, through, some, through the second version of this. Um, and everybody knows we're in a bear market. Right. Like it's not a secret. We're out here at a conference with, I don't know, maybe there's 15,000 people registered, but there's 50,000 people here. Right. They're out here and there's still this vibe about it where everybody is just so excited to be here. So I want to switch gears into this bear market. Right. And kind of get your reflections on it. How have you approached it? How have you learned from the time you came in to see such a drastic upswing at the tip and then this crazy downswing. What what are your thoughts on it? What have you learned? Because I know you've gone deep on this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's fun. It's just hilarious how short that time period really is. If you it's think like about four it, months yeah, in it. <laughs> um, but it does feel like a really long time of of, of watching it and a lot of like self discovery. Um, I think one of the things that Josh imparted in me, or or that I took away from my really early conversations with Josh, that I took away from those early Punk six five two nine threads. Um, was to understand what kind of of collector or investor or, or whatever you are, and and I think that the thing that that 
the big aha moment for me was really understanding that Web3 and NFTs are so much more than just a financial instrument, that it's not just about wealth. Um, and it doesn't have to be at all, in fact. Um, and and it's really easy to fall into that because they're, it's so ingrained in the space. And if you're on Twitter, reading Web3 Twitter, reading NFT Twitter, it's what everyone talks about all the time is floor prices and, and value of different collections and if they made money or not. Um, and I don't think that fits particularly well with the kind of interaction I want to have with this space. Um, when I was, I was thinking a little bit deeper and actually putting pen to paper on this uh, when I was having coffee earlier this morning, and I, I realized that there's, there's three, I would define there, there's three kinds of NFT um, users, I guess you could say. Um, and, and, and we've chatted about this a little bit, but I think I, I think I, I've, put it into a little bit more um, context. So so there's traders, right? And and this is, I think, the most um, obvious thing that you think about when you think about NFT trade, you know, collectors, traders, whatever you want to call it. The traders um, you can think of as, as like flippers or gamblers. Um, for the most part, the art is not important. Other than, you know, the, the team is not that important. All that really matters is if the value is going to go up. I always like to say a little anecdote, charts, not art. There you go. People. Yes, exactly. It's, yeah. it's all about assets. They could be trading, you know, oil futures or, or penny stocks or whatever. All that matters is that they're seeing an opportunity in this space to make money. And they're volatility. And, volatility, and they're willing to gamble on it. And, and you read a lot and they're all over you know, NFT Twitter, and it, it's really a normalized way of interacting with the space. Um, There's even a name for them. What do we call these traders? Degens? Degens. <laughs> I'm still giving another shout out to you, Lord Truff. I know you're not listening, but the way you said Degen, I love it. <laughs> I think you can be a Degen and not be a trader, though. If I think, you know, I think the Degen, uh, and you can degen <laughs> and not be a trader. So as it well. is a sufficient condition, not necessary. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then the next category, um, which is close, but I would say it's definitely different, is investors. Okay. And so investors are looking for long-term gain, um, primarily, still seeing NFTs as a monetary instrument, um, but they're p- particularly, you know, maybe less about degening into a project and buying a bunch of it and hoping it does well, maybe doing a little bit more research on the team and maybe not investing in something that they don't believe in the art, although art is still secondary to value. Um, It's like there's some brand equity there through the art. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, an ability to focus on things like, you know, loss harvesting and tax strategies and all of these pieces of this that, that, uh, that have to do with the financial elements of it. And then the third class is collector. And so the collector, uh, you know, it's about ownership, it's about community, it's about participation. Now, people can fall into any of these and multiple of these categories. So it could be like a three-sided Venn diagram. But the trouble is, if you don't know where you should live, Hmm. you will get wrecked. Sounds right, familiar. I am a, I am wholeheartedly in the collector class, not necessarily by choice, yeah, but just by 
by process of elimination. Process of elimination. <laughs> yes. And I believe you are too. I didn't realize it though. It took my process of elimination was about a year. <laughs> but I think that that the you know when you surround yourself with traders and when you surround yourself with investors and you're hearing all of that noise all the time, you think, oh hey, I can do that. And that's how you get wrecked, right? Like I was we were talking the other day about the anecdote of like I watched I was in this this uh Discord where um a bunch of people definitely, definitely traders. These are people who are like buying, you know, 20 of something and turning around and, and selling it when it goes up a 10th of an ETH or less. And also these are the discords where they're the whitelist channel is the most active channel. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and they started minting Moonbirds or no, no, sorry, not Moonbirds. They started minting, um, Goblin Town, which is, you know, the one project that can has, you, can you explain Goblin Town? Just a quick overview of it. Sure. Quick overview audience. of Goblin Town. It was, um, a meme project that had a frame mint, uh, 10,000, although they only minted 9,000, they kept a thousand of them and the, uh, it, sh- it shot up. It was like just perfectly grabbed like the ethos of what was going on when the markets were crashing. And, um, it was super secretive. No one really understood who it was. There were all these rumors. Is it Yuga? Is it Mike judge? Like people were like throwing out all kinds of wild speculation as to who had created this. And, uh, it just kept going up and up and up and up and up. And, uh, I don't know right now and probably don't want to know what the floor price is, but you know, it's somewhere in the like, you know, high single digit ETH probably. Also CC zero, right? It's CC zero. It had like, you know, like a lot of projects, it's like, you know, claims to have no roadmap and as a, like a, a thing that they're very proud to say. Yeah. But it was weird. I mean, it was an extremely weird meme kind of, um project where they would get on spaces and they would just make goblin sounds for hours and everyone was talking about it and um, should we do that (laughs) (laughs) that'll boost my viewership by at least ten thousand. um but but the point was that i saw them these people on this discord like jumping in and buying in big at super low prices free prices or this on the secondary this was like early secondary so they were going for you know under a tenth of an eth like 0.08 eth and stuff like that and um and then they were and they were watching it shoot up and they're like we're up to 0.11 we're up to 0.15 should we sell now and that's that's how these you know these channels these discord channels full of traders and and uh and dgens work and and I just sat there. I was like, I don't like this project. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and that was the, like watching that just keep going up. And then it went up to one. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to buy it now. Of course, it's at the top. I don't understand how monetary instruments work. Yeah. <laughs> it is clear that if I was that kind of NFT person, I would have done that and I would have made money. But I've actually like of all the projects I've gotten involved in, I've actually never sold an NFT just because I don't, I don't understand like, you know, the, the, oh, well, this is the top. So I'll sell now. Every time I like feel like a gut feeling to do something, it's wrong. You're, it's interesting. Cause like the first thing that pops into my head is uh, Warren Buffett value investing. And one of the most famous quotes from him is uh, it's better. It's uh, you'd rather buy a great company at a good price than a good company at a cheap price. Mm. Right. And so like when you're going into this thing and you're seeing one ETH and then two ETH and I went through this with, with board apes, I'm the exact same thing. 
right? Josh uh, introduced me to Board Apes. They were at half an ETH. And I was like, you know, at that point, like I was just getting into the ETH side of trading. And it's like, well, you know, they probably won't go up much more because nothing had ever really done that. Right. And this didn't make sense to do that because it was the middle of a bear market. Right. Right. Um, so there, there's all this context. But like at the end of the day, you didn't see or connect with the goblin ethos. Right. Right. And and so you didn't couldn't justify that, even if you thought it might be a good trade at some point. Right. Well, I mean, thinking it would be a good trade would probably be the perfect reason that. I shouldn't trust my life. So maybe if I just do the opposite. There's a lot of people that say, think of what you want to do, then do the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> it feels it feels that way sometimes. And and But anyway, I think the big takeaway from all of this was, okay, that's actually like a lot less pressure because I'm extremely susceptible to FOMO. I have like, every time I've like FOMO'd into a project, it has, you know, been unsuccessful more or less. And, um, and so by understanding yourself as a collector and and resisting those urges to to degen and urges to to you know just ape into something um, it actually makes it a lot easier uh, and, and you save a lot of money and you can still have all the fun of web3 and, and take place you know take part in all the communities and and collect cool art and meet great people and go to really cool events at NFT, mm-hmm. NFT NYC, which we'll get to. Um, and, and I think that, that bringing this back to what started this line of conversation, the bear market is a way better time. A slow, inexpensive market is way better for collectors. It's horrible for traders. Mm-hmm. It's not great for investors, but they can, they'll be fine, but it's made for collectors, right? Like if you can, get into a project at a lower price, that's better for a collector. If you can, you know, interact with communities for a little while before you need to jump on a project because the prices aren't shooting up, that's way better than that feeling of, oh my God, if I don't buy this right now, I'll never be able to afford it. And I will feel guilty that I didn't buy it and I'll have FOMO. And so I should just buy it. And it's almost like if you feel like you're going to have FOMO, you should just stop. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and what we've seen over the last few weeks is the time to, you know, you get added to a whitelist for something because of some like raffle. We were just joking about this. And like, they're like, sweet. Now I have the opportunity to pay someone money. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm so glad I get to give you $500 right but now. Because you <laughs> won the raffle, you feel like you have to do it because then if the price goes up, you will, you know, kick yourself for having not done that. And what we've seen for these last few weeks, um, is that these projects aren't even minting out anymore. They're not even, sure. you know, they're not even selling out anymore and they're not going up in value. And uh, I know that like, there's some people who will say that that's like a horrible thing for this industry, but like, it's a great place from a collector's perspective to be able to take the time and go in the discord and talk to people and see if you like, you know, what these people are doing to see if you want to invest your ETH in these projects because the stuff is not particularly cheap. Yeah. Um, but if you're smart about it and you have fun with it, it's totally worth it too. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say, I guess, is uh, in summary is you got to identify who you are, right? And there's no like single greatest answer, right? You might be a blend of the two. There might just be one or a blend of the three. There might just be one that makes sense to you that is just better for your psyche. So I guess in, you've kind of talked about how like on a high level, how you identify that. Have you thought any deeper about like different ways to 
kind of categorize yourself so that you can set yourself up for success earlier? Or is it something that you feel like you just have to learn by experience? You mean like for someone coming fresh in? Yeah. <sighs> yes. I think that 6529 talks about this a lot. There's He has a great thread. If anyone is coming to Web3 for the first time through this podcast, the best advice you can do is just go to Punk6529 on, on Twitter and read his like pinned threads that he talks about like you know it, he's i like to sort of think of him as my like web web3 guru mm-hmm. um but but he talks about buying like the first steps are like find something cheap buy it get to know the community and ask yourself how you feel do you feel weird about it do you feel like this wasn't a good use of your money that maybe this isn't the best place for you um you know, or do you, are you super excited? Do you need to buy more? Well then, you know, I I don't know. I think that you can identify yourself into one of those three categories without even knowing anything about NFTs, right? You can, you can identify yourself. Are you good at, you know, the idea of, you know, gambling? If you go to, if you go to Vegas, are you like killing it on the floor? Are you having a great time or are you getting wrecked? And you know, what, how do you react to loss? Like, or do you slowly lose money over time just because you don't want to feel bad? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's how I categorize myself, by the way. <laughs> how much entertainment value did I get out of it? It's true. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly like I, I am. I think you and I have a very similar, um, you know, categorization in this space. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, thanks for sharing that framework. I, I know these frameworks are super helpful for the audience, right? I, I think, you know, the, the point of all of this is just to educate, right? And if there's some way for someone to get comfortable in their role in the space and take the experience of others to make themselves better, uh, that's a super useful framework to, to think about. I do want to give you an opportunity to provide any other anecdotes or anything around the bear market that you've had? Is there anything else that you're kind of itching to share? Well, one thing I was going to touch on a little bit is, is the web three greater web three space sort of passed just NFTs. And, um, and I've had a lot of fun learning about, you know, I think one of the questions you often ask people is define web three, right? Yeah, we can skip to that. (laughs) Uh, Well, this is, I think that the if you think about what really makes the the you know sort of literal definition of web3 it's the idea of decentralized ledgers right and how are we using decentralized ledgers aka blockchains to interact with technology interact with software and um, it's I like to joke that or or make like the little comment that you know web3 right now is us talking about something that is coming, but it's here and pretty soon it's just going to be web, right? Like we'll know that like, like just the, the idea of, I love that joke. <laughs> it's just the idea that like the, it's just a, an ad- additional layer of technology that will be transparent to most people. And there's no, like, there's no stopping decentralized ledgers, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, like this is like a technology. This that, isn't something that's failing. <laughs> yeah. This is like a, such a fundamental technology to um, the way that the, the world will continue to transact and interact um, and it's great and it's fascinating. And the most obvious use case is cryptocurrencies because, you know, that's just like, a, it's the most obvious use of a ledger. And it was the first. Yeah. And, right? and if you think about ledgers, the way the entire purpose of a ledger going back to the stone age was to like show ownership for something. So money, monetary issues are super easy. And, but, but as we see that continue to 
go out into all these other aspects of um, society. And I think that's that's what it just gets like my you know eyeballs popping out about about the excitement. I've learned I've been learning a fair amount um, from the Bankless podcasts, which I keep sending you because I'm like, oh, I got to listen to this one. Not just me, <laughs> the Beans too. I mean, yeah. look, it's they have great content and they've been around they've yeah. been there i think they started like 2017 2018 right like they went through that bear market and they're here and they their guests are excellent oh so, my god i know they yeah, yeah huge huge guests and and anyway they talk a lot about about the you know financial instruments and DeFi, and and it's okay to like i don't you know again like i'm not a particularly like financial minded person so i don't need to like ape into DeFi usages but it's still fascinating to learn about how that works and uh at the very least it grows applicability it grows use cases there are people there are a lot of people out there that are finance minded and they're very freaking smart Mm -hmm. because a lot of them deal in money right like and i think DeFi is their use case they may not give a shit about an artist right i go and i have conversations and i tell people what i'm doing at nft nyc and a lot of them are like why did you go there like you know why did you do that i'm like because i care about the art Right. And that doesn't mean that that's the only path. Right. But DeFi is just another use case to appeal to another set of people with the big painted mission of, you know, decentralizing all of finance and, and all of that. So it's easy to get behind it and think of, you know, anarchists and everything. But there's much more to it. Well, it's funny, you know, we've been popping around to events and parties and and talks and all these things these last few days. And, and it's been interesting for me to see, you know, there's an obvious joke and, and it's actually not a joke. It's a problem that, you know, this whole space is just full of white dudes. And um, yeah. it is something that, that we need to, to work on. Um, but that's why I have a white dude on my podcast. Now. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, you still see a lot of different kinds of people. Right. And it's funny that, you know, we've gone to all these different events and there's some where we just, have noticed that we felt very much like at home with our kinds of people who are like, maybe it is a little bit more on the art collector side, like the NFTC event where it was like, we're surrounded by artists we knew and people who were having a good time. It felt like a film festival party. It was like a, a very, uh, it was very different than some of the other things we've been at where we're just kind of like, you know, who are these people? And like, you know, what, why do I not feel an immediate connection to, to these people or, or something like that? So there's a lot of room in this space and there's actually, um, there's not a, a ton of uh, of gender and um, racial diversity, but there is a ton of other kinds of diversity in the space that maybe comes down a little bit more to personality type and and uh, I don't know, other factors. Yeah, there's. I mean, well, it's kind of like a microcosm just of like general like business, right? Like, I think it all starts with the white dudes, but like what we've got is a lot of different communities with a mission. And I'm not saying that's the right way by any means, but. What I'm saying is that it starts like that, but like you have to be intentional about pulling in everybody else because they may not have the financial means. They may not have the knowledge, the especially not the technological knowledge to get into the space. So how do we onboard more people across different like cultures and everything so that there is cultural diversity? Because ultimately... This is a creative space, mm-hmm. right? Democratizing creativity is a, is you know one of the baseline cases for it. And and true creativity, you can't have that without diversity of thought, with diversity of experience. And there is some projects out there doing it. I mean, I'm getting chills right now because I'm thinking about the diversity of thought and culture that I experienced last night yep. at Dead Fellas. Totally, I was I was exactly what I was going to go to. 
Yeah. And, and what was, I, I've said it a thousand times today. I've been telling the story to everybody I met and it's, it's not a pump your bags thing. No. I've been to these conferences and it's like, yo, I got, uh, you know, psychedelics anonymous. I got BYO pills. I got apes. <clears throat> and I'm and not like saying anything bad about those particular projects, but like, I think he just said that was <laughs> <laughs> those types of people are in every project. There's probably those types of people in dead fellows too. Sure. But what I'm saying is that there's that mindset, right? And then there's like, man, this shit is authentic. There was a positivity that was at this party last night that it's really hard to, <coughs> to quantify. And, um, and it was so obvious from the minute we started like watching this weird, like <laughs> robotic performance art thing. And you and I just looked at each other and just were like that. This is so cool that we were here seeing this. And you felt it in the whole crowd. It was just like, it was a diverse crowd. It was an extremely positive oriented crowd. And um, one thing I've, I've mentioned to a number of people, and I really felt it last night. Uh, I think that, that, generally speaking, Web3 gets a really bad rap because it gets lumped in with sort of the, uh, even like, you know, your friend was saying like the sort of idea of the incel uh, QAnon crowd. This is the yin to that yang. This is the positivity. This is us saying good morning to each other. This is like, you know, there's so much positivity in this space and it's, it's, it is the polar opposite of that. It is, it's not just that it's not that it's, it is like literally the other side of that coin. Yeah. And and you we felt it last night at this party so much, and we've gone to a bunch of parties, and we've had a, a lot of fun times, even at ones that didn't feel that way. This was something special. It was, and it made me really want to get more involved in this community. Yeah. And and I'm you know I've been in their in their Discord or whatever. Discord's not a great tool for that necessarily, it, oh, especially yeah. in a huge group. But <clears throat> yeah, that's true. And and I was interesting. There's a few like when we're both analytical, we were analyzing the crowd the whole time and the experience and everything, and. What I was noticed is everybody's initial thought was uh, what what's going on on stage when that particular performance was happening and everybody was still talking. They weren't paying attention, but then all of a sudden it started to click and it's like, what is going on? And the crowd got quiet oh, wow. and all you could hear was the music. And then as you walked around after that performance, all you could hear, like everybody was saying, the same thing. This is the most unique, authentic experience I've had. And like, I could just hear that over and over and over and it wasn't planted. These are separate groups of people. And it was, it was magical. Yeah. It really was. And I remember seeing the, the lineup of artists or musicians that they posted the day or two before and thinking, I've never heard of any of these people. Minimum. And, and they're all dead fellas. And it was so great because, uh, usually, you know, the, the default would be like, Oh, these aren't, you know, these aren't cool, cool enough for me to have heard of, but no, I'm not cool enough to have heard of them because yeah. they were so much cooler than me. And it was so great to get an opportunity to see them, these artists and musicians live killing it on stage. And yeah. each and every one of them was better than, you know, random famous artists that I would have been like, Oh, well, I saw that. I, I get to say, I saw that person. Yeah, exactly. I, and, and one of the like little anecdotes that you made or observations you made that was so valuable to me is you said, you know, back in the day, I used to go to these underground hip hop shows. Right. And what it sparked in my mind was like, did they always have to be underground? Right. Is the NFT community, the, the dead fellas community, is that the impetus 
for projecting what used to be underground into the main spotlight because you have all of these true fans, right? Is that possible? And, you know, I like to think so. I'm an optimist around it, but like, I think so. I mean, I just, I think it is possible. Yeah. Well, you know, community is a big part of this, right? And, and community is one of the things that made it so exciting about the NFT space um, because it is such a interesting way of building communities and, and, um, you know, not to sound like a broken record here, but 6529 talks about this as well. <laughs> He's a 6529 fanboy, in case you were wondering. And so am I. I think I've mentioned that to like 10 people. The funniest thing is people that have no idea about the space. And you say 6529, you're like, uh, come uh-huh. again? Yeah. Is, that, like, is, that, is, that your, is that your door code? Is that like, name? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Born that way. <laughs> 6529 punk. <laughs> uh, but, um, but he talks about, about memes and um, about the way that religion is a meme in the greatest like, you know, distillation of this idea that that religion was a necessary invention to get us past uh, a certain level of um, ability to, to be in tribes, right? Like you could have a tribe with however many others, some like, you know, studies about these numbers of people that you could have 50 people or 150 or whatever that number is in a tribe, all coalesced around a physical leader or physical idea. But to get, to a bigger group of people to get to a society mm-hmm. you need uh something bigger to believe in and th- that's what a meme is is a, it's uh you know a unit of societal measurement and um and so that's you know where religion came from is is having these idols or um you know creation stories or whatever for everyone to believe in and so then when you you could grow a society because you had this common bond across much much bigger groups of people and um there's one word you missed there can i just interject yeah culture yeah exactly exactly yeah shared culture yeah Yeah. shared culture because of this shared beliefs and um and you know as we've seen uh nfts play a big you know sort of a the meme uh, NFT as a meme and and us believing in a, a community based around a, a, an icon, so to speak, an art project um, allows us to create these these kind of these same kind of bonds. And uh, it's a fascinating experiment. It's only been really happening for a couple of years, and <laughs> and and we're seeing this societal. I don't want to say transformation, but, you know, like, you know, slight shift in the way that, that we're interacting um, because of, of these kind of things. And 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 they're literal communities in the sense that, like, you know, you're literally in a discord talking to each other. Um, but but then it all comes into this realization of real life this weekend where we're going and meeting these people and seeing how we you know interact with them. And, and that has been what has been the most exciting part about these last few days. Yeah. It's so interesting. You say, like, as you think that, and, and you can probably see it if you're watching the video, my, my wheels start turning immediately. And I'm thinking like, okay, so general society says, uh, no, you can't make money off memes. Memes are not real. This is not real value. Uh, you know, one of the most outspoken uh, proponents of, of mean life is Elon Musk, right? Um, and you know, I wouldn't call him dumb, right? <laughs> He's done a few things, uh, may not be the easiest to work for, but very smart person. I wonder if you could explain a meme as a, uh, analogy for religion, wouldn't more people realize why it's so valuable? Like why meme culture is so important 
because really like the way you described it, they're the exact same thing. The exact same thing. And that's what, that's basically the concept that 6529 puts out there and the like that, that they are the exact same thing, that the religion is a meme. Yeah. So hopefully we don't have meme wars. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I think about the religious wars, the crusades, like how many, how many, how many wars were fought because of religion? Every single one? It's not that <laughs> difficult to like see like religion and money. Some sort of split in these communities sometime in the you know near future where we see, you know, a f- different PFP projects feuding with each other or something. Yeah. And like, they already do feud, but like legitimate feuds. Yeah. Like I don't know. we are trying to destruct to destruct you because we want to be the uh equivalent of the colonists. But then you have this totally different element all wrapped up in the monetization and, you know, our ability to, you know, just disconnect from these communities by literally just, you know, clicking a button to sell. Right. <laughs> and, and, uh, and that, that brings a, a very different aspect to it all as well. So, um, it, it's a fascinating place to be watching from, and there will be, you know, big sociological papers and areas of study about this for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm, I love those thoughts, man. I love the fact that we can just kind of riff and come up with all of these unique frameworks. And thank you, Punk6529, for all your thought leadership <laughs> and for making Rylan happy constantly. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I want to do switch gears. You mentioned the question I ask everybody. I'm sure you've thought about your answer. Um, so we'll take that step and say, Rylan, when you are meeting somebody for the first time that wants to know about Web3, how do you describe it? It's, it's mostly the things that we've been talking about. And, and um, I actually you know, had a conversation with my mom not that long ago where I, it started because I was talking about some of the 6529 philosophy stuff. And then I was like, okay, I better just, I better just explain blockchain at this point. And yeah. so, so you know, really what it was, was just the, the nuts and bolts of decentralized ledgers and, um, and how we can, you know, how, how it, it is all around us. And it's just a technology that we can now, you know, it's just a natural evolution of technology and it will be how we interact with data, um, for a long time. So, so, you know, I, I, I tend to start with the really nuts and bolts aspects of it. What are those nuts and bolts? The concept that, um, Traditionally, if you go back in time and you look at at you know what a ledger was used for to to show ownership, um, the idea of the banking system starting and I'm I'm not a scholar on this, but you know I understand the concepts that that you know we started out with ownership of mules and things like that, and then you know that eventually uh, transitioned to um, the idea of a bank and the idea of currency and um, how do you uh, show that you are um, you have a certain amount of wealth and there had to be a trusted pillar of society that could be trusted with that ledger. And that's the idea of a centralized ledger. And so uh, whether that be a government or a bank or whatever it is, they had the centralized ledger that said that Zach had, you know, 40 mules, 40 mules, yeah. or eventually, you know, 40 pounds of gold or whatever it was, right? Seashells or tulip bulbs. Yeah. And so, um, so for all of time, from that point until now, we've been operating on centralized ledgers. Mm-hmm. And the banks have centralized ledgers and governments have centralized ledgers and I don't know, real estate title, all these sort of things that, that operate that way. Um, that brings us to the Internet. And, um, and so then, you know, 
Web 2, the concept there is that these big data companies are going to handle all that ledgering. They're going to have the databases, Amazon Web Services and Google and all these big, big, big companies are going to build out these giant data centers where they're going to hold all of our data for us. They're going to hold all that ledger. Um, and, you know, there's a million different applications for that, but it's as simple. Um, it's, it's, you know, banking, but it's also things like your Instagram likes, right? Mm-hmm. Like your Instagram likes are all in a ledger on Facebook servers, yep. which I think Facebook still uses all Amazon. So yeah. they have all of that data and that's what uh, has led to all of the, um, you know, problems in recent discussions of tech and the social dilemma and all of this stuff about them doing things with that data that isn't good for society. Um, and so, so it's really good for their balance sheet and it's great for their balance sheet. And, um, <laughs> And, you know, no fault of their own, right? Like, that's what they're designed to do is is build wealth. And they do that by collecting this data and monetizing it. I had a, a previous guest. I don't know if you listened to David on the podcast. Um, but he, I think he described uh, the, um, the corporate. There was a, a paper or something that he read that described the corporate entity as a complete sociopath. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the first thing I'm thinking of when, when you're describing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so now technology has advanced past the point of needing centralized ledgers. We now have the computing power in the world and the smart and smart enough, you know, technical minds to code decentralized ledgers, Mm -hmm. which is that's what a blockchain is. A blockchain is a decentralized ledger. And that um, allows us just a whole new way of thinking about how we interact with data. And... um, and so, as I mentioned earlier, the most simplified, easiest to understand version of that is cryptocurrency, because the easiest, most simplified way of understanding a ledger is currency or is, you know, number of mules. Yeah, this is exactly the same way. Yeah. So um, so we've seen that, you know, the application of that. But then there's a whole bunch of other applications. And you start to talk about all layer ones that are, uh, you know, Ethereum is, uh, I don't consider Ethereum an alt-layer one, I should say. Yeah, uh, but and layer ones, <laughs> just, we've talked about it a few times. Layer ones are like the the first layer the main of, blockchain. The, of the blockchain ecosystem. Yeah. It is the blockchain that you would then build either a, a layer two or a decentralized application on top of. The main one that is used with the most developers and the most dApps, as they call it, decentralized apps on it, is Ethereum. So we're not going to call that the alt layer one, but the other alt layer ones. Solana, Avalanche, all these other uh, Tezos, which we're big fans of because of the art application. Talk about the collector mindset. Best place to be a collector, hands down, Tezos. Yeah, we probably should have led with that. We've been joking about how we keep walking around NFT NYC and not seeing any Tezos anywhere. Yeah, what's up with that? We just got 47 minutes into the podcast without mentioning Tezos, so (laughs) maybe we're the problem. Um, But yes, so the idea that uh, these alt layer ones, or if you consider Ethereum as well being, you know, a, a second layer one after after Bitcoin, these are blockchains that are built with just a ton more processing application, right? Like the ability to run smart contracts, your ability to execute code, all of these things that you need to be able to do to interact with um, different, you know, ledgers, right? And so instead of just saying, Zach has 40 mules, it can now say, all of this, you know, we, we, we're recording that Zach has 40 mules, but we're adding in all of this extra computing power to do stuff with that data. And mm-hmm. that all, you know, executes on the blockchain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we've seen 
this just take off in the last few years with with decentralized finance, DeFi, and um, you know NFTs <laughs> are only possible because you can record the smart contract data that allows you to do things. So um, that's just going to continue um, to build and build and build. And, and it's not necessarily important that everyone understands that, you know, right. I think that that's something that gets lost in this. And, and, uh, and I'll, the last time I swear, this is the last time I'll do it. But six, five, two, nine says that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to do that. He says that um, you don't interact with, Python plus plus or whatever the coding language is, you just interact with Instagram. It doesn't matter to anyone who's using Instagram that it's coded using this cool like right. web centric, yeah. you know, interface or whatever. It's it's completely inconsequential to everyone who uses Instagram. So that's going to be what but, we're going to see. But you can't describe it without that because right now you have to understand that to interact with it, right? Like that's it is not it, it is not easy. Yeah. <laughs> there is a technological barrier to participate in this space right now. And look, do you have to get to, you know, your level of understanding or my level of understanding of like actually how it functions to participate? No. But if if you are going to be early in this space and understand what the issues are, like those are a lot of the issues. Like being being safe, feeling comfortable, putting yourself out there. I still get nervous clicking the button to transfer thing between wallets. <laughs> I still get nervous. I've been doing it for a year and a half now. Right. Right. Like it's it's just something like that. When that starts to feel normal, when you can just say, uh, you know, like MetaMask becomes almost like a verb. Like Google became a verb. Right. A like point. like yeah. Like yeah. Your your digital wallet. And it's like, oh, your digital wallet means that I just open it like I open my email, right? Yeah, it's a, that's an important point. I think that the wallet aspect is not going to be the hard part to understand, and and I think everyone can understand that they have, a, you know, the the basic concept of a wallet without getting too deep into the way that blockchains work. But you're absolutely right that there's a huge like leap to make to understand what not to do to not you know, have security problems and things like that. And that's going to get fixed with software or it's going to be addressed with software. At least there's going to be smart people and, you know, their RDR, I'm sure there are big companies with a lot of VC funding that probably have, you know, little booths or, or posters across <laughs> the street. And, and they're working on these issues because yeah. it's a huge market and it's, you know, we're just at the beginning and there's so many millions of people to bring into this space. So, mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. That's great. So if we could summarize there, I almost would say you're like, so web three for you is the journey from centralized ledger to decentralized ledger. And, you know, the easiest way to think about that is from a financial standpoint, because the most common way to think of a ledger is a unit of accounts. uh, Right. And like how, like keeping track of like where your money is and where it goes, but that could apply to any data. Right. And that's what Web 2 was. Right. Like Web 2 was that centralized ledger of your personal data. Right. And the way you interact with people and the content you create and all of that. Right. And now we're at this point where none of that data really needs to be centralized. Now, there's centralized aspects of managing it. Right. Like there's still like smart contract employers that are centralized companies like we're not saying we're not I'm not advocating personally for a completely decentralized system. I think there are certain points that require a bit of centralization. But that said, your data can be owned by you. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that the, what we're going to see, and 
we're definitely not there yet. They're a long ways away from a fully decentralized. They will never be fully decentralized, but even from a decentralized first world. Yeah. I think that what we need to see is the way that these companies are building their profit models to to financial the the financial incentive needs to be towards the decentralization, right? Like the if if the company if the the financial incentive is to centralize like it is now because you have this data which you can then monetize then that's that's sort of how we got here and so as we shift to decentralized ledgers as we shift to a world of of you know data portability and all these things the we will the see the companies that that tend to do really well in this space will be ones where the financial incentive isn't aligned with the decentralization yeah makes sense well i appreciate that explanation and you know i think we're about to wrap up here so uh you probably know my closing question uh and we've already kind of talked about it a lot (laughs) but if there is a concise way of you telling your version of the future for both yourself uh and this space broadly that you'd like to communicate with the audience uh love for you to share it yeah i i think that um one thing we haven't talked a ton about um, in the short term, that what is six to 18 months, I think you usually say, right? Six to 12. Six Get to 12. Right. <laughs> um, I think we're in for uh, a very slow ramp back up because of, you know, macro pressures. And, um, and I'm going to enjoy this time and I'm going to have fun. The researcher inside you will exactly, <laughs> And I will feel less FOMO and I will sleep better. And, um, and hopefully we can um, build projects together and bring more people into the space. And we haven't talked about beans at all, but, but, you know, we're both extremely involved with that. And that's beans Dow for the audience. We've talked about it on a few episodes. Actually, this is the first time and it wasn't my background. You get the beautiful yeah. hotel room at the Casablanca <laughs> hotel, but nonetheless, yes, beans Dow, very near and dear to our hearts. In fact, I would say, uh, 50% of our conversations have been around beans Dow on this trip. Mm-hmm. Right. Observing, learning, figuring out how we can make it better. So, yeah, that is a cool project that we're both pretty involved in. Yeah. And so so that's the short term. The short term is bringing in more people, um, getting more involved with other projects. I'm very excited about some of the projects that I've maybe known about before this weekend, but gotten excited over this week. have gotten excited about him here and met other people here. Um, and uh, and I don't think that we're going to see five digit ETH in 2022. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> so, um, so that's fine. Um, and, uh, but I do think we will eventually, I do think that, that, uh, maybe in that, in that long term, uh, we'll be talking about five ducking digits. Um, wait, are we going to see five digit Bitcoin? <laughs> uh, if so, I'm buying a lot. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, so anyway, I think that the um, not financial advice. No, <laughs> I think that that the long term, I'm extremely bullish, and um, I I don't know what that necessarily means from like a you know like we to bring this back to where we started. I don't know necessarily what that means from like a career and money and all of that stuff. But I know it's fascinating, and I know it's all around us, and so uh, I'm just looking forward to to learning more and and. Uh, getting more excited about other cool things happening in the space. Yeah. I'm looking forward to building with you too. 
Uh, I, I love thinking with you. Um, and this was an excellent conversation. So thank you for coming on. Just let the audience know how they can get in touch with you too. Super simple. I'm on Twitter at Ryland Aldrich, R-Y-L-A-N-D-A-L-D-R-I-C-H. I am fully doxxed. <laughs> even with his own picture, he doesn't even have a PFP. No, folks. I changed it. I changed Are it. you changing it to yeah. PFP? Okay. Here we go. All right. I changed it to a bean. He's finally. officially Web three. Yeah. <laughs> I changed it to a. I changed it to a crypto bean. Finally, when I said, "Okay, now I have to fully," and I put, "I am my 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 ETH address in my in my Twitter profile as well." Finally, uh, but but uh, yeah, and, and really quick rewinding because I do think it's worth touching on. One thing I definitely think we'll see in the long term. Okay. Less. Anon, less people, especially like there will always be like cool anonymous artists that like, Pac will never dox himself. I'm sure, especially now because he goes self, <laughs> yeah, itself, whatever. I think that I think that there will always be like some anonymous. There's a room for it. There's content creation around an anonymous. There is uh, an outlet that it enables certain people in certain positions, typically higher level positions. Uh, that that function is not going away, but. The anon, because I want to live off the grid and not trust the government and anarchist style of thinking, I don't know if that's going to make it. I don't think it will. I think that it's <laughs> going to um, people demand a little bit more transparency, and I think that I think that there should be more transparency. There's no reason that like there needs to be so much secrecy in in people. And we saw this happening in Web two, right? Like in Web one, and and all everyone was anonymous and behind a username, and and then um, people started using their real names on MySpace and Facebook. And, and suddenly it was like, oh, wait, we can just be our normal self. Like, how many people are anonymous on Instagram? Yeah. No not, one? Not many. <laughs> yeah. Not so, many at all. So I don't think we're going to see. Um, I think that, that that'll be an evolution that we'll see here. Uh, and so anyway, at Ryland Aldrich, uh, please yeah. connect with me. Cool, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining Web3 with me. Make sure to follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review, as it'll help us reach more people. If you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at offedge underscore. Thanks for vibing in the verse with me, and hope you'll join us next time.